Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. And we're back with another episode of the College Football Sprint with Coach Zach Smith. You were popping everywhere this weekend in the Twitter spaces and in, in platforms that I hadn't even heard of. Uh, but your commentary is always uh, is always great to hear, and it's it's good to see how many people are demanding it, Zach. Uh, but let's get right into it. Obviously, Ohio State uh, had a win this weekend at uh, at home against Notre Dame. They didn't cover any of our predictions. We thought two touchdowns. They could have probably covered the spread if they would have tried to score on that last drive. Uh, they didn't, but this game was not the blowout that anyone expected. Surprisingly, our offense struggled pretty much until cat midway point of third quarter when they turned it on and did enough to win the game. But our defense did look much better than they looked at the start of last season or pretty much any point of last season. <laughs> so... Uh, those are some good takeaways. Um, what were your kind of immediate reactions and thoughts of uh, on the game on both sides well, of the ball, Zach? I mean, the, the way I looked at it, <clears throat> one, I think that, that you just witnessed the power of Ohio State's fanhood, right? Because that line opened at 11, <laughs> and yeah. it moved to 17 and a half because of the amount of money that was pouring on Ohio State to cover. So I think Vegas had it right at the beginning. And um, I think that the biggest takeaway is this. If I had told you before the game that the defense was going to struggle and the offense was going to scorch the earth, how confident would you be that by the end of the year, Ohio State would be a title contender? I would not be that confident because of the lack of defensive performance for two years. We're coming out of game one saying the defense was dominant. They're going to be a real force to be reckoned with. And if Ryan Day can get the offense up to speed, this team is a title contender. There's a far better history of Ryan Day getting an offense in championship caliber than this defense. So I'm, I'm supremely confident that, the, you know, six weeks from now, we'll be talking about is Ohio State the best team in the country. I think that's that'll be the conversation at some point. I also think my biggest takeaway was, man, how much do you miss Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson? <laughs> I mean, as good as Omeka Ibuka was the rising star, right? And he's the guy that probably got talked about the least people were saying he might not even be the third receiver. Yeah. He balled out. And I know JSN got hurt had it tweaked his hamstring. Marvin Harrison Jr. was a little bit of a disappointment, but I will classify that similar to what I did with Zach Harrison, where Marvin Harrison Jr. had these expectations, expectations thrust upon him because of a viral video in the summer. And he played well against a depleted Utah secondary. Like it was unfair to say this kid is going to be the best receiver in the country. It was like, based on what? A Twitter video? Come on. I mean, his last name obviously helped. Well, that, that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that uh, does. I, I, I want to ask you, Zach, because I remember in the, uh, you know, around halftime, there was a lot of stress going on, at least in my, in, in my mind. And, you know, you were hosting this um, the space on Twitter. We were um, all listening to you kind of talk about what was working, what wasn't. And there was uh, an interesting set of comments that um, surprised me, but it was about CJ Stroud really having probably one of the worst games he's had as a Buckeye. And I think that's true. And I think I want, I, I like, I really wanted to understand from your perspective, 
How much of that is, you know, an off off day for CJ Stroud? How much of it is, you know, receivers not really being all the way there in terms of knowing their routes or having the chemistry yet? And then also Notre Dame historically has a good defense. Marcus Freeman is a defensively oriented guy. Um, I thought they were really impressive on defense. You know, yeah. how would you kind of um, spread some of the uh, some of the uh, accountability there? Well, there's so many layers to it, right? Like, how does how does an offense or a passing game that is is you know potentially this dynamic come out a little inept? And there's a number of ways it happened. One, Marcus Freeman did an outstanding job defensively. Him, him, and uh, or the, they they put together a great plan, and their plan was C.J. Stroud is never going to run the ball. <laughs> so we can bracket, we can we can play underneath coverage, we can do all this stuff to try to limit their throw game because he won't run. And yeah. that's fine, he won't run, but he's going to face these issues for the rest of the season if he won't take off and, and scramble every now and then. And that was, that was point number one. Point number two is C.J. Stroud was a little bit off. I mean, he was 47% completion percentage on throws over 10 yards. Last year, he was pushing 60. So you're talking about 15% more completions at, at, towards the end of last year. And I think that can happen a, n- a number of ways, right? <clears throat> One is, you know, new receivers, a new receiving core, right? It's not the same, you know, I mean, they were 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th. They were in the top 15 of the draft, those two kids that left. So there's going to be a natural slight downtick in production. But the one thing that I don't think I've heard anyone talk about that, that you can really attribute some of the struggles with is for the first time in C.J. Stroud's career at Ohio State, his his throw game was getting contested all training camp. Like you got to think about it. The defense we watched the last two years, I mean, you can just, you probably dream about how ridiculously on fire they were every practice against Kerry Combs' defense. Yeah. Now you bring in Jim Knowles' defense, everything's contested. Everything's hard. Like it's really hard to complete the ball. You lose a little bit of chemistry there and a little bit of, I don't know, shining it up because. There's no easy throws. Like you can never just get in a rhythm because everything's contested. So it's it's almost like the damned if you do, damned if you don't. All of a sudden the defense co- is contesting everything, but the offense is struggling to get in a rhythm and really, really, you know, find their groove as a throwing team. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, the other the other thing here, you know, and I and I don't like to ever just like join join the the chorus. Um, yeah. but you know, everybody is looking for reasons on on these platforms to criticize Ryan Day. And one thing that I think is a fair criticism that I continue to not understand is if you're not going to run the ball with C.J. Stroud, then run the ball with the running backs. Once we started doing that in the third quarter with Mayan Williams um, and Trey Henderson, who I thought Mayan Williams, first of all, looked like an RB1A in that game. Um, When you have dynamic backs like that, the thing that I continue to not understand, maybe it's his QB background, maybe it's because he's so excited about the quarterback and the receivers, why not establish and fully establish that run game early in the game, then go to the play action? It seems like that's a consistent pattern that doesn't happen in these big games. We're so excited to get out there and make a statement through the passing game that we ignore kind of the fundamental tenets of offense. Yeah, there's no doubt. And I think I think that in, in review, right, you, you always as a, as a coach on Sunday, when you have a chance to kind of digest the game, the decisions you made, how the kids played, how they executed. I mean, I think that is what they're going to come out of the Sunday meeting saying, right? Or they did come out of them saying, because there was a point in the, you know, late in the third quarter where Kevin Wilson kind of 
stood on his conviction and said, we need to run the damn ball. We're, yeah. we're screwing this up. And Ryan was like, all right, you, you know, I, he respects Kevin enough to say, okay, you're right. We need to, let's do it. And we, and they did it. And all of a sudden they started really, you know, abusing Notre Dame's defense on the ground. And I think Ryan realizes that that's his safety net to throw the ball. And I, and, and I would imagine that that will transition over the next couple of weeks into a dominant run game and a dominant pass game, a nice 50, 50 balance. And the other thing I think they're going to walk out of Sunday or they did walk out of Sunday's meeting saying is we have to get Travion Henderson in space. Yeah. We know Travion Henderson can, can run the offense like Mayan Williams. We know he can run stretch. I actually saw a counterplay. They pulled a guard. They didn't pull anybody all year last year on one play on Saturday. They pulled the guard and yeah. tackle on the yeah. same play. So that was beautiful to see. But I think they're going to make a concerted effort to say we might have one of the best players in college football that he really didn't get in space in that game. And I think that yeah. has to be a priority for the staff to say, listen, when Trey's in a game, he needs to run our offense. But also we need to have these little wrinkles, this special package of ways to get him out in space and let the dynamic player be dynamic. Yeah, because his yeah. biggest, his best trait is his vision, right? His vision oh, is yeah. just top notch so you that's why you have to put him in positions to utilize his best trait i agree with you completely there's no doubt and there was the one play it was a split zone and he he bounced it backside and he got in that scenario that we saw last year a couple times where he's out on the perimeter with the ball the nearest closest defender is like six yards downfield and you just saw this acceleration where you immediately like stop breathing and you were like oh my god he might he might be gone like he might be gone. You never feel that way with Mayan Williams, as good yeah. as he is. And I'm with you. He is an RB1 almost anywhere in the country. Yeah. But when Travion gets that that cushion where yeah. he can hit the accelerator, the whole stadium goes, oh shit. That's yeah, what we it, need more. It's just as good as throwing a 60 yard down pass, 60 yard pass downfield to, to oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and not only giving uh, Trey space, but one of the things I noticed in the first half is a lot of the offensive play calling kept CJ Stroud in the pocket. Now, I don't know if that's his choice or, you know, that's the play call. But in the second half, he obviously got out of the pocket a lot, made some key throws right against the sideline, which we saw him do a little bit last year. But last year, I remember those throws being more choreographed. It, it was like a bootleg play into one of those passes. Um is that a game plan change and adjustment, or is that just some toughness from C.J. Stroud as a result of that first half? I mean, part of it is definitely game plan. You can game plan to get him on the move. And and I did a, a really cool, if you guys didn't catch it, on Monday's show, kind of the weekend recap show, I did a, a, a segment about C.J. Stroud on the move because I'm probably one of the loudest people criticizing him about running. But So I wanted to accentuate how well he did with his feet because there was a three-play stretch on our touchdown drive that ended to, to Xavier Johnson where he got forced out of the pocket three times in a row and three times in a row on the run, body out of position, delivered darts. And you're like, this is what this kid does really well. And then I put up the one clip that went viral um, that everyone on Twitter saw where it was second down and he threw it to a receiver double covered and there was literally 15 yards of grass. He could have just walked for a gain of 12. And it's like that he just, it's not that he won't run around, it's that he's always a thrower, and he'll never convert from a thrower to running the football. It's, it's not that he's not athletic. It's not that he's not tough. It's not that he's not willing to move. He made some athletic plays where you're like, wow, this, is, this kid is a great athlete and still playing quarterback and throwing the ball well in you know, bad body position situations. So he, he, he used his feet on Saturday. He just didn't ever use them to cross the line of scrimmage. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And to his credit, you know, I know a lot of people said this is his worst game. 
but we don't win that game without what he did on third down throughout the game. Like when third down came up, he showed why he is an elite level. It might not be Heisman performance stat-wise, but if you're trying to differentiate guys in, in moments that the game really matters, and he's done this throughout his career and started last season in, in, in the big games, um, he gets it done when the pressure is on. Um, and he makes those tough throws, which is which is something, despite the struggles that he had in the game, you have to say, okay, he had a rough game, but when it mattered, he showed up. Yeah, and I, I got to say, on the other side of the ball, I could not have been more impressed with Notre Dame's quarterback. That kid could play. He moved around the field. He's, a, I think, a true freshman, right? But he had, he had some poise. He had some confidence. And he just he brought it. He he played a tough game. I was really impressed with Notre Dame as an opponent in general. This is not the team that I'm used to watching. Just have a great season against nobody teams and then totally choke at the end of the year. Like they have a real they have a real program they're building. Yeah, I I think he's got a chance. I mean that you talk about getting thrown in the fire. I mean in that atmosphere, your first game starting and then you know, he had to be saying, oh, fuck me. This couldn't be last year. I got to go against this defense. Like it just it was a bad combination for your first game. Yeah. yeah. And what do you think about the, the D line? I mean, they were unbelievably dominant, especially in the second half. Um, yeah, I mean, get through the combination of Michael Hall Jr. And Tyleek Williams inside is second to no one in the country. Michael Hall Jr. Was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, every, one, of, one, of the best D, one of the best D tackle performances I've seen at, at Ohio state, maybe ever. I mean, just, he was dominant and you know, the defensive ends, are, again, they're they're going to get. They've gotten some criticism about you know not not having big sacks and not doing this and that. And I thought they played well, but I think most of that comes down to expectation because we had these super sophomore JTT and Jack Sawyer. They were going to be just unbelievable, like Joey Bosa. And it's like, calm down. Like they're going to be great players, and they might be great players, you know, this week. But let's not put those expectations on them because then a kid plays a really good game but doesn't have three sacks, and everyone's like, oh, they they've sucked. You're like yeah. what? They didn't I mean, suck. Overall, the thing that I saw that was like a return to kind of the silver bullets, guys were flying around, making yeah. big hits. Um, guys were getting hit in the backfield, not missing tackles. Like the fundamentals were sound all game long. And like you said, we'll start to see the big plays. If the inside is really doing that well, well on the D-line, the attention is going to go there. It's going to allow the defensive ends later on in the season to make some plays as well. But that was my takeaway we talked about it in preseason you had called hall all preseason talking about he was going to be a breakout he showed that in game one uh clearly um earned himself a few million dollars probably just off of that game right. <laughs> alone uh but you know just there's just it just feels good and then jim knowles after the game said we didn't even show a lot yet um so that obviously you know we we talk a lot we always talk a lot about offense but I left the game saying, if our defense can play like this, we're going to win games because we are. That's probably the worst performance we're going to see from our offense is 21 points. Or if our defense continues to play like this, it's going to be very hard for us to be beaten all year long. There's yeah. no doubt. And the other kid that absolutely exploded on Saturday was Lathan Ransom. Oh, I mean, yeah. You watched, you watched the opening play of the game. Jim Knowles decided to go with a corner blitz. <clears throat> and I'm going to tell you what, you, going back Partha, to the quarterback, Tyler Buckner for no Notre Dame, the fact that a, a first-time starter in that atmosphere, game one, play one, the place is rocking, 
they dial up a corner blitz, which I thought was brilliant. Like, who is expecting that the first play of the game, especially a rookie quarterback? And that kid flipped his hips, snapped that ball to the receiver, and Josh Proctor missed the tackle, and it's 63 yards down the field. And you sit when when that happened, I was like, oh shit, this quarterback is not messing around. And yeah. you know, Josh Proctor missed that tackle. They pull him off the field, put Lathan Ransom on just to settle him down. And then Lathan Ransom goes out and play, he's co-player of the game, in my opinion, Michael Hall Jr. and him. And Josh Proctor played five plays, <laughs> a kid that I thought was going to be an All-American. Yeah, it, it was seriously impressive. I mean, I think it, a huge credit to Jim Knowles for the impact he's been able to make just in one offseason on a defense that was nothing comparable last year. And really, like, it's a lot of the junior personnel from last year that are really stepping up and playing playing a different scheme. Um, the thing that was also impressive, you called it last week, Zach, it was the linebackers. Um, just seeing them being able to get to a quarterback when oh. he's coming around the outside, prevent huge gains when when nobody's open downfield. And the fact that there were so many times that nobody was open downfield and and Tyler had to result, um, had to lean on using his legs to get the first down or to get any yards. And I mean, so many times I remember last year in the Michigan game or really any other game kind of 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 stature so many times when the quarterback comes around the outside it's like a 30 yard gain and you're like where the heck is everybody i thought we had 11 guys on the field it looks like we have five and this time around i mean he didn't have anywhere to go and the guys recovered so it's just it was a different thing than i've seen for probably like a decade from ohio state there's no doubt the term i use is suffocating right we haven't even seen aggressive or, or physical defenses but with the defense that we watched saturday was suffocating like there was nowhere it's like you're drowning and you're trying to get above water you just you get up for a second take a quick breath and you're back underwater it's like you can never catch your breath that's what that defense played like and and the cool thing i think is after 2 years of watching you know seven linebackers playing in a game like seven corners playing in a game and you look over and you're like why is our fourth string corner in against oregon like that shouldn't happen. They played three linebackers total, and mainly just two, Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg. Tommy Eichenberg, three three tackles for loss, two sacks. He was all over the field, and I think we need to erase the, the, the tough Borland comparison now and view him more as like a, an A.J. Hawk or an yeah. Andy Katzenmoyer because he gets stuck in that ginger uh, category too hard, and he, he played out of his mind. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was honestly like uh, the Ohio State ball I grew up on was all defensively minded, right? And I, I think probably similar for you guys because we had Craig Krenzel at quarterback, so he couldn't be offensively minded. <laughs> but uh, man, I mean, this this era, it's like, it's it's exciting. It's exciting to see what Jim Knowles has brought to the program. Uh, we talked about last year, the adjustments that need to be made by Ryan Day as like a CEO of the program beyond just being a coach. And I think as a CEO right now, I'd say he's doing better than he is as a coach. And I'm excited to see him, you know, uh, when, when it's your job, like the work he has to put in to be a great coach, that's easy work because you can do it on your own. You don't need other people to do that work. CEO work is, is much harder because you have to lead a team. Yeah. yeah. There's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we could, we could spend the rest of this show talking about Ohio state, but there was other football, uh, that happened this weekend. Was there? Uh, <laughs> there were other games, <laughs> including the the game that you know you guys half heartedly, I know, uh, picked Oregon uh, <laughs> over Georgia, but I think it's it's uh, it's worth a conversation here because the thing that frustrates me over my years of adult life, there's always this team called Oregon that gets hype as a good football program. But every single chance they get to show it 
on a national stage, they don't show up. Um, and what does that kind of say? This is Oregon truly just built Zach on the hype of Nike, or is there something of substance here that gives us reason to believe that they're actually kind of almost there as a program? Yeah, you know, I, I think Oregon is a, it's an independent study every year because there's years where you look at Oregon, especially after the fact, and you say, you know what, that was a pretty good Oregon team. Then there's other times where you say that, that Oregon team wasn't very good this year. Yeah. And the, to your point, the problem is they're always hyped up though. It's like when yeah. they're good or when they're not good, they're always preseason hyped up. Um, I think it comes from the allure of Nike, kind of what Chip Kelly did there, you know, all the uniforms and some of the great players they have had there, like Dennis Dixon. And, you know, it, it, people get caught up in that Oregon could be that giant killer out West. And I think the other part of it is people don't really pay attention to Pac-12 and West Coast football. So it's like yeah. you see the name Oregon and you're like, oh, yeah, they went to a national championship with Marcus Mariota. I bet they're really good. Like you just don't pay attention to the football out there. <laughs> like we got to put a few teams in the Pac-12 in the top 25. Oh, Oregon sounds good. Let's throw right. them in there. <laughs> I also just need to need to take a moment. I know they're they're the rival of my um, alma mater, but I do have to give some credit to UGA here. I thought they were insanely impressive. That pick in the first quarter that that DB had on the long pass on the sideline that uh, Oregon threw. I mean, it's one of the most athletic things I think I've I've seen in a long time in college football. And I think Georgia just came out knowing that they need to make a statement. They've had so many years of inconsistency. And they they were able to show that on the defensive side of the ball, they're still who they were last year, despite losing nine guys to the NFL. And I think that's an impressive statement. Then on the other side of it, I think I've become a Stetson Bennett fan. Like, this kid wow. just brings it every single game. His, his heart is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Like, regardless of, of talent or skill level or where his ceiling's at, like, I'm a fan of the energy this kid brings to the sport. Yeah, I mean, he 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 shut me up pretty good. I mean, because I've been, I've been, I don't want to say a hater, but I've, uh, you know, I honestly evaluated him last year. And players are allowed to, and actually supposed to, improve in an off season. And you know, we can't hold one game as this statement that he is this great player now. But it certainly shows you that he might be. I mean, I think I counted. He threw 24 passes under 20 yards, and I think I counted one incompletion. Wow. It's just outstanding how well he threw the ball he was a just a baller a gamer they only blitzed him 10 times because he was 10 for 10 when they blitzed him I mean he completed 100% of his throws when they blitzed him and that goes back to conversations that I had when breaking down Joe Burrow at LSU is great quarterbacks in college football leave you as a defensive coordinator with no answer right if you just do a four-man rush and play coverage they dice you up if yep. you blitz them they are even more lethal and you sit there and say, what should we do? Like, there's no answer. And that was Joe Burrow. And I'm not going to say Stetson Bennett is Joe Burrow. But in that Oregon game, Dan Lanning had no option. He played base coverage. Stetson Bennett completed all his passes. He blitzed 10 times, 10 for 10, completed all his passes. There was literally no answer to Stetson Bennett on Saturday in that game. Yeah, yeah I think... I just think it's an inspiring story in the making with this kid. Like, yeah. this might be the next, you know, Rudy type character in college football. So no, he's actually good, so we can't compare him to Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, either way, a very, very impressive game by a team that we all thought had had fallen off quite significantly. And to your point, V, 
maybe an indicator as well as to the state of Pac-12 football right now. Yeah. That, There's that, no doubt. And I, would, I do want to throw this out there because I, I'm sure people didn't pay attention to it, but I, being the, the junkie that I am, and I, I'm in love with the national landscape, like who, who might be standing at the end. I think yeah. it is of note. I know it was against Rice. But Lincoln Riley has something potentially lethal on his hands because USC, it doesn't matter who you play, their defense was unreal on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, they, I always look at fundamentals. Like Alex Grinch, I know Alex Grinch very well. I was worked with him at Ohio State. He's as good a football coach as I've ever been around. And people didn't like to believe me when I said that. And he was at Oklahoma and they couldn't field a decent defense. But they fielded a much better defense than Oklahoma traditionally has. And I watched that USC game. They only missed four tackles the entire game. That's going to be one of the lowest totals on the season, regardless of who you play. They had four interceptions. They took three of them back for touchdowns, three pick sixes. So I, I, I know that it was rice, but just as these weeks go on, keep an eye on Oregon, because if they have a legit defense with Lincoln Riley and his offense and Caleb Williams and the, the Belenikoff award winner, Jordan Addison, I mean, they might be a force to be reckoned with when it comes down to the national landscape. And weak conference, right? Weak conference. Weak conference, right? Who's no one's going to beat them? Yeah. So they, I mean, they. I think they have Notre Dame. I think they probably. I think they play Notre Dame later on. But that's. that's oh, they definitely play. Notre, yeah, last game of the year they play Notre Dame, and that's yeah. all. All eyes are going to be on that game. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. going to be the the true test. I think Oregon has shown that they're not. They're not going to really be. That team, um, you called it this week on Utah as well, Zach. That was an amazing prediction, Utah, Florida. Uh, you, I mean, it was exactly how you said it was going to go down, which was really impressive. So I, I agree with you. I, I was really impressed by what they put up. I didn't get to watch the uh, USC game because I was at some OU fans' uh, house, and so you know it was banned. But uh, I think that it was really impressive what they did, at least on the box score and from a statistical standpoint. Obviously, it was right, but even to come out that heavy, guns blaze, and put up 70 points, like it's hard to put up 70 points. It doesn't matter who your opponent is. That's a tiring, tiring amount of work. There's yeah. no doubt. You know I mean, once, it- once you get up, once you get up in the high 50s, usually you put your backups in, and if they're still cooking like that, I mean, you, you got a pretty deep quality team. Yeah. yeah, it was it was definitely impressive, and of course, the game that we we talked about was the Cincinnati Arkansas game, kind of a program statement for both of those teams. And it was a very competitive game. Cincinnati started out slow. They tried to come back, um, but Arkansas won the game. But my takeaway from this is that there was no loser here. You know, Cincinnati showed up against a real SEC top 25 team and gave them a fight. And Arkansas showed that, they might be that program in the SEC uh, that has a chance to level up again this year. I really like both programs. I like the leadership of both programs. I don't take uh, a loser in that in that game, I, even though Cincinnati ended up on the wrong side of the scoreline. Yeah. yeah. And I got to say, the way Cincinnati plays right now, I don't know if you guys saw Georgia Tech uh, last night against Clemson, but... It was the score did not represent the way that the game went. It was a much closer game than the numbers the numbers show. And Georgia Tech is a team. When I went there, it was a full triple option. It's now evolved into a spread offense after bringing over the coach from Temple. Um, it's a it's a decent program. I mean, the quarterback solid. The receivers are solid. You've got a lot of athletes that go to Georgia Tech. They have a huge advantage in recruiting because of the value of their degree. It's also a very tough school, so it's not one where you're really going to be able to win a championship because of where the priorities are at. And that being said, 
when I watch a team like Cincinnati, it's frustrating because I'm just like, why can't Georgia Tech, a team that you know I would say is likely able to recruit a far higher level of player, why are they so far off from from a team like Cincinnati? And I, that that's kind of my predominant emotion as as I come out of the weekend and especially the game last night. Well, it's it's funny you say that because I watched that game. It's fourteen to ten with five minutes left in the third quarter. And mind you, Clemson got their first touchdown off of a blocked punt. They got the ball on the three yard line, and and it took them four downs to score from the three against a far superior defensive line at Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech, the only thing that's holding them back right now is their line. Their line play was awful. Their quarterback Jeff Sims, I th- I think he is a freak. I think yeah. he's a great player. I thought their running back room was outstanding. They had some really good-looking receivers. I, they, their offensive line is just awful. But it will bring me to my point that, that I know that you guys are going to want to talk about is, is Dabo Sweeney has effectively committed a crime to DJ Uyungle and the state of Clemson football, it is officially dead. It's like, ter- like stage five terminal illness dead because well, I, I'm sitting here watching this game and this kid – the Southern California kid, he was rated as high as C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. It was those three. They were the three you know, crown jewels in this class. The other two are Heisman hopefuls, number one overall pick conversations. This kid is quote-unquote a bust. I watched that film. I have no idea what they're trying to do on offense. I don't know what he's supposed to do, where he's supposed to throw the ball. So then I look up their offensive staff. Have you guys ever watched Stranger Things, the show? <laughs> yes. That, that, their offensive staff are the kids from Stranger Things. Like, just... <laughs> A bunch of former interns that he elevated to become college football coaches at Clemson. It's truly fascinating. That's really? Oh, I, I mean, I could go through the whole list if you really want, but all of them, every single one of them ha- had zero coaching experience except for they were an intern at Clemson. Dabble has this like this this thought process just overall. It's even in the way he's approaching recruiting transfer portal, it's like, okay, dude, we're not you don't. We're not the moral police anymore. Just do what you need to do to win. Um, <laughs> you have wow. the resource. You have the resources. Just do what you need to win. And I think we're going to see. Just as we saw the rise, we're going to see a pretty steep fall for Clemson football um, over the next few years if Dabo doesn't doesn't adjust to the times and the reality of what the culture of college football is today. Um, you know, we can shit on. Shit on Dabo Sweeney all day. We, we would all three of us wouldn't mind doing that, even though Zach has a soft spot for him deep down. Um, let, let's let's transition to somebody else that we have no problem uh, laughing at um, their sorrows, and that is Brian Kelly at LSU. Uh, it's, <laughs> it seems like this guy's karma. Uh, Karma can't escape him uh, with a black X and a black field goal and black extra point. Special teams in that game was terrible throughout, but it was interesting because it is two landmark programs historically. FSU and LSU playing a close game, um, being decided on extra point. You know, Florida State faithful are saying we're back now. Uh, yeah. Is and what, what were your takeaways from this this game as you watched it? Today? Well, I think you know the Florida State is is improving. I mean, I'm, they're certainly not back, but it's going to be interesting going back to the ACC conversation. Is when Clemson is dethroned, is who's going to be the team to sit in that seat, right? And right now, the leading candidates are Florida State and Miami. Um, but going back to that game, it's clear Brian Kelly has a major culture issue. I mean, just from the 
the body language of Keyshawn Booty, uh, who's people told me was the best receiver in the country, better than Jackson Smith and Jig, but you know, he's wide receiver one. And he certainly had a lot of frustrations, but he was venting them pretty loudly on the sideline. He ran one post route where, you know, it was getting covered and he knew he was covered and the quarterback threw the ball and he just stopped. He was like, why is this kid throwing me the ball? Like I'm covered. And it just very frustrated. And so I actually had someone reach out who, uh, a parent of a player at LSU. And they said that the reason why he lost this team so quickly, he came in immediately. The first thing he did was he cut all of the walk-ons, cut them off the team. Yeah. And and you guys can imagine like those kids aren't most of the time. They're not going to play. They're not great players, but they're also like, I have several walk-ons that were best friends with Paris yeah. Campbell, Terry McLaurin, Johnny Dixon. Like he's one of their best friends. If you, if I would have walked in and cut that kid, those three kids would walk every day in that building like, fuck this guy. Like, he cut my buddy, right? He cut my yeah. boy. And so he did that. And then before two weeks before training camp, realized he needed bodies and held an open tryout on campus. And so that even further pissed off the team. Like, we had great walk-ons. You cut them all. Now you're having an open tryout for all these random slaps. And he, he just, Brian Kelly's so out of touch. He's, he's such so, I mean, he's yeah. a phony. And he's, that's the, the word. He's a phony. He's so inauthentic, you know, early on when he came to LSU, trying to do the dances, all that stuff. Like, you just came from Notre Dame, dude. Like, you, you, just, you just become whoever you need to be, like a right. chameleon. But he, he doesn't give credit. You know, and a lot of coaches and programs do this like him, but nobody gets paid as well as he does, right? Which is to be completely inauthentic. I thought it was a mistake hiring him at LSU um, because the program of down south SEC football, specifically in Louisiana, you know this, Zach, is you have to be real and you have to be authentic or the players down there are not going to buy in. Yep, that's it. I mean, you, it, it's not just at LSU. That's everywhere. If you are not yourself, if you are not authentic, you're trying to be someone else. Players are smart. They see through it. Like it's not, it, you just have, you have to be authentic to build trust. You have to. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so true. I mean, I think you, you, you guys are spot on in terms of uh, watching karma play out. Like this is, it's literally what we're seeing. It's like you see somebody make a decision that's a stupid ass decision and then you see the effect of it. Like that's the entire principle is action and equal and opposite reaction. No, I mean, if you're not pointed the right way with with your efforts, you're not you're not going to get the results you're looking for. So I, I don't know if that's that surprising to me. I I didn't think he was that good of a coach at Notre Dame, and I thought he, anyone who was going to leave Notre Dame for you know the I don't know um, that more resource quote. I don't know if you guys have seen on Twitter, but everybody's been tweeting him uh, essentially saying like uh, Notre Dame has more resources. Essentially saying what what he said when he left Notre Dame right back to him. Um, about winning and stuff, but I, I just think it's like a funny situation to see LSU and Florida State. Uh, I think Florida State, it's nice to see them get better as well, but in the ACC in general, we do have a void right now, a power void, and every part of me wishes it could be Georgia Tech, but it's not going to be. <laughs> I mean, Miami, Unbiasedly. I, think, I honestly think in a year or two, Miami is going to fill that void just because of the facilities they're getting, their location. Oh, yeah. The, the historic culture of that program. We're going to see a return of the U, and it would be nice to see a return of Florida State too. Those are two historic programs um, that have been good for many years, and they have cultures and they have historical players. Um, you, you would like to see them be good, and and that for us to not have to talk about is North Carolina going to be 
uh, a player in the ACC. Let them focus on basketball. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I mean, and honestly, this is, I, I don't know this. I didn't research this, but I would bet this is the first time in a long time that all three Florida schools, like none of them are on meltdown mode already. Like yeah. all three of them, I know Miami played Bethune Cookman, but still, <laughs> all three of them won their games. They're all really happy about it. Shit, two of them against pretty good teams, LSU and Utah. Though, although LSU's down and all those, it's still a better team than Rice. Yeah. Like the Florida's big three are th- are one and zero. Oh, all three of them, and no one's in meltdown mode yet. <laughs> yeah, hey, let's. No, let's- no. No coaches on the hot seat yet either. Right. <laughs> Let's talk a little, a little Big Twelve real quick. We uh, we had Quinn Ewers have his debut at Texas. Uh, we had Brenton Venables make his coaching debut at Oklahoma. Um, uh, interesting, interesting kind of weekend. I think that's a conference with a ton of parity, but I think there's a lot of potential for uh, a, a team to be able to win out. I think Oklahoma has a decent shot at it, given what I saw over the weekend. Um, but a team winning out to actually be able to find their way into the playoffs um, as a result of the kind of parity across the conference. Uh, what What's your take on the conference as a whole, Zach? And, and do you see Texas actually starting to regain a little bit of glory here? Or do you think there's more road ahead on that? I mean, I think they're they're on the path. Uh, I think Steve Sarkeesian's gotten the program moving in the right direction. Um, you know, I think they're going to face a harsh reality this weekend when they play Alabama, but it's, it's part of the process, right? You gotta, you gotta see what you're striving to be and they're going to see it live and in person. (laughs) But, um, I I do, I I don't think there's a playoff contender in the big 12 and you know, the, the looming departure of Oklahoma and Texas just is the looming death of the conference in general. So it's, I don't think either Oklahoma or Texas can make some noise, but I think both have a strong case to win the conference this year. Um, and I think, you know, we're going to find out. Oklahoma's got to play Nebraska in two weeks, and it's really good, a do or die for Scott Frost. If he doesn't win that game, he's probably going to get fired as soon as his buyout uh, gets cut in half. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're kind of teams that are just there to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Then uh, South Carolina, I watched some of their highlights as well. I'm uh, as you guys know from last year, I'm strangely like a huge Spencer Rattler fan. So I very much root for his success. But I I just love watching the kid play. He throws dimes every now and then. It just makes these plays that you're just like, what what the heck was that? And he had a couple of those, which is nice. Um, the offensive coordinator there, I know he has a previous relationship with. That was that was the intent behind the transfer. And last year, he just didn't get it going at, at Oklahoma. Uh, but maybe a smaller stage is, is what it takes for a kid like that to humble up and, and really figure out how to play at this level. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, South Carolina is going to be it's going to be interesting to see how that how it all pans out, because the SEC East is is wide open for that second place spot. Um, you look at Tennessee's leveled up. Kentucky has leveled up. South Carolina has leveled up. Florida, it seems like they're on the rise. The SEC East is not Georgia and a bunch of shitbag teams anymore. Like they're yeah. they're at least something worthwhile to put on a football field, right? I, I'm not going to say that any of those schools are going to going to contest Georgia, but they're they're on the rise. So it's it's good to see that division kind of c- bouncing back. And Spencer Rattler's got his hands full because if he would have been at South Carolina two years ago, I mean, that it was wide open. I mean, the, the Florida was awful. Tennessee was awful. Kentucky was just okay. I mean, but now everyone's everyone's improved a ton from last year and the year before. Yeah. Yeah. My 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 favorite storyline outside of football this weekend was uh Joe Burrow finally put an end to this debate 
of sour grape LSU fans saying that Ohio State has no claim to Joe Burrow. I'm pretty sure a kid showing up on field with a bunch of Ohio State players to a game kind of should shut them up. I doubt that it will, but clearly this is a kid who has affinity for both schools. He has a degree from Ohio State, um, and Ohio State fans can go ahead and continue claiming him um, as one of their own. Would you guys agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's no doubt. I mean, the, the kid showed up to – he could have went to LSU and went to the Florida State. I mean, maybe not. Maybe he couldn't go last uh, on Sunday night, but yeah. he certainly could have went to the Florida State game. I mean, they, they – that's a big game. It was the only game yeah. on. It was on on TV, right on on primetime TV, and he chose to go to Ohio State Notre Dame. Why? Because one, he's in Cincinnati, maybe a little easier, but also all his all his his teammates were there. He's a former player, whether people want to buy that or not. Yeah. And the fucking kid still is a Buckeye. It just yeah. is what it is. He also is a, a Bayou Bengal, like he is both, and he's yeah. allowed to be both. And there's no, you don't diminish what he did at LSU by. By Ohio State fans loving him also, right? It's like a divorced yeah. family. Like just because the dad loves the kid doesn't mean the mom should hate the dad loving the kid. Like they both love the kid. It's a, it's a yeah. good problem. That's the weirdest part about the Joe Burrow beef to me as well. It's like how can, how can you be how can you be mad at more people liking this kid? He's a very likable guy. <laughs> right. It is. It's truly like LSU is a is a divorcee mother who's just so angry and bitter at the father for, for not, you know, being in the kid's life every day and only in, in his life for half of his career that they just hate Ohio State for it. People, uh, people will be like, people will be like, well, you know, you can't, you can't claim Joe Burrow as an Ohio State fan. I'll be like, why not? And they'll be like, well, because he didn't really play with you guys. And it's like, where, where do you think you learned the skills that made him so good at LSU? <laughs> right. Because we know LSU's history in developing quarterbacks. It clearly right. wasn't there. And just look at what happened before and after him. It's like, yeah, how, how's it going? You guys really developed quarterbacks well. Yeah. <laughs> or you borrowed borrowed a great one from a great program. Right. Yeah. Just, so, I, it just You can just like the guy. I don't see an issue with just, just liking. Just enjoy the fact that he delivered a national championship and enjoy the fact that because of the, because Ohio State fans love him, his jerseys sell more. I'm sure there's a bunch of Ohio State fans that bought LSU jerseys too, LSU Borough jerseys as well for that I'm looking for <laughs> a good uh, NFL Borough jersey now that we're not Browns fans anymore. You know what's so funny about last season? Uh, right before the season started, I walked into a Marshalls and I saw Joe Burrow jersey, T. Higgins jersey on sale. Official NFL jerseys on sale. They had a whole rack of Cincinnati merchandise. Imagine wow. if you'll ever see that again through Joe Burrow's career. I should have snatched one of those things. <laughs> I don't imagine they'll have a they'll, they'll, they'll need to have a sale on a Joe Burrow jersey for a long time. <laughs> yeah, that, that would actually be that would actually be like a pretty cool thing to do is just go go find all the NFL jerseys on sale and try to pick try to pick who's gonna who's gonna appreciate the most. That'd be a fun, <laughs> right. little bit for us to do. Um, uh, also, just wanted to quickly mention LeBron's appearance. I love when he comes to the Ohio State games. He brought Bronny this time. I think it's the first time I've seen Bronny actually at an Ohio State game, and then the fans gave a, a big "We want Bronny" chant, which would be great to see him on Ohio State basketball. Um, you you mentioned it at 
the halftime talk, Zach, but CJ Stroud's background playing basketball. I know he's made some comments, um, but is it is it true that he picked that football actually very late in life? I, I don't know. I, I had heard that, but I don't know that whole story with him. Um, I, he's, he plays football like a hooper, though. He does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I remember him saying like just three, four weeks ago that he thought he and five uh, or four other football players could take on the men's basketball starters and beat them. Well, I think I can throw some cold water on that because Snoop uh, just posted about C.J. Stroud on his Instagram because I think he played in his Pop Warner League this top Warner James, so that dates him back pretty far in football. If he was, if he was playing uh, Pop Warner and Snoop. I mean, come on, the kid was a great athlete. I'm sure he played everything from a young age. He might have liked basketball, but I mean, there's no way, there's no way he picked up football late. He definitely was playing pee wee football than all the other levels. And you heard it here first. Bronny James is going to be going to Ohio State to play basketball. Simply, and this is, again, goes back to the fact that Ohio State's men's and basketball teams, women's teams, are both LeBron James-sponsored uh, uh, Nike teams. So mm. it just makes the most sense. He was born here. The, the, the storyline all makes sense. They don't have any issue. That family has no issue hopping on a private jet and getting to Columbus for every single game. You heard it here first. Bronny James will be committing to Ohio State. The other lead guard that we were recruiting in the 2023 class actually backed out after the weekend. He was at the game, too. He backed out of his Ohio State commitment uh, after the game. I'm pretty sure he he saw Bronny and was like, okay, he plays the same position. Okay, he's in my class. Okay, I'm not going to win this political battle here. You're <laughs> beating out LeBron James, kid. That's for sure. Yeah. LeBron's basically. King of Ohio, <laughs> right? You I, got do, I do. I do think, though, from what I understand, Oregon is making a hard push at him because Phil Knight's looking at LeBron like, "Listen, bro, I pay you a shitload of money, way more than Ohio State's ever even fucking thought of sending you." Like, <laughs> let's let's have a conversation at least. Yeah. It seems like it's USC, Oregon, and Ohio State, but I have I just have a feeling that we're gonna see. I couldn't see. Go go anywhere except Ohio State because I just think that the the fandom is so deep when you're from Ohio it, it just it, it prevents you from doing anything else. Um, given Bronny's speed, I don't know if you you guys have seen his clips. This kid is is insanely fast. Do you think Zach that he could he could potentially also play receiver? Oh shoot, probably LeBron could have. I watched LeBron in high school. Um, he he probably could, but he's probably like his dad thinks he's a hooper. Probably could be an NFL tight end or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look the, the 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 battle. I mean, it's it's tough. It's very tough. None of Michael Jordan's kids made it to the NBA. If the truth is, Bronny James is an elite high school basketball player, but when you take away the James name, he is kind of in that second tier. He's not the the one and done level yet. Not saying that he can't be developed. Ohio State basketball has a history of developing that position. Um, and I think, I think, you know, obviously with Malachi Branham this last year, I think it's a good choice also for his development at that specific position to come to Chris Holtman in the Buckeyes. Yeah. And it's going to be a, a, a difference maker for the Ohio state brand. I mean, just the, yeah. the, the hoopla around Bronny right. playing for Ohio state, it'll, it'll transcend just basketball. It'll impact football. It'll impact baseball. It'll impact every yeah. sport. It'll truly be a, a difference maker for the entire brand. 
Yeah. And what Bronny brings to the table, I think, beyond just like the pure technical skills is basketball IQ on, you know, the James level, the James family level. And he brings like a, a knowledge of the game that comes from growing up with the greatest of all time as your dad. So there's this there's this different, I think, X factor that could make him successful despite any sort of shortcomings in his individual game because he can be such a key key player. I, I don't know if he'll become the LeBron type of figure, but I could easily see him having like a 10-year run as an elite role player with a very, very specific use case on a very specific team. Oh, he'll get a shot at the NBA just by virtue of the fact that his dad is just basically saying whatever team he goes to, I'm going to show up to and play for him. I would draft him just for that, whether he's good enough or not, and just stash him at the end of the bench. Right. Well, you know what they say, if, if you get, uh, it's, uh, I think it's a Christian saying, but if you, uh, if you stick with God's son, you get God on your side too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't underestimate the Schadenstein family's uh, role in getting into Ohio State as well. Their uh, ties are very deep <laughs> with, with the James family. Well, that being said, I actually have not yet looked at looked at next week's schedule. Do we have any exciting games coming up this week, Zach? Well, Texas Alabama is going to steal the show. I know the Big Ten. Literally every Big Ten t- game is is just disgusting. I mean, it's like the only cool the only cool note is Arkansas State comes to the horseshoe, and that's not cool. That's not exciting, except for the fact that I, I didn't even know this. I found out Butch Jones is the head coach at Arkansas State, and I can't stand Butch Jones from his time at Tennessee. So he's coming to the horseshoe. That'll be fun to slap him around a little bit. But, yeah, all eyes are going to be on Texas-Alabama. It's going to be nice because Alabama, you look at what they did. I know it was Utah State, but Utah State was a top 25 offense last year. And Alabama only when their starters were in the first three quarters, they only allowed two first downs the entire game. And I mean, their 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 box score drive chart was like four touchdowns in a row, a field goal, four touchdowns in a row, a field goal. Like they Alabama cooked on the highest level the entire game. And, you know, albeit against an inferior opponent, but I think it's gonna be that, you know, that's gonna be the the show this weekend is Alabama, Texas. Yeah, that's a that's gonna be a really fun one. You guys wanna do I mean, obviously I think Alabama's going to win, but do you want to do you want to have a guess on the spread? Mm. A score prediction? Yes. Oh, I, 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 Texas just isn't there yet. I mean, yeah. I think it's gonna it'll, it'll be like a fifty-six to fourteen or forty-eight to fourteen. Like it's gonna get ugly. You think they'll get stomped? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, look. This is the second game. I don't. If you watch that game with Quinn Ewers, obviously it was. I don't know if the kid is going to be able to handle in his first game dealing with a real defense. If he's going to be able to handle that, um, but it's his opportunity to show, show and prove, right? So, but I, I have this being a blowout, a line easily being covered by Alabama as well. But I see the line continuing to come down because a lot of Texas fans after this. Big one last week are gonna are gonna be betting on their team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they opened up a twenty point favorite, so it's it's <laughs> probably one of the bigger matchups you'll see from two like blue blood names at least. And the, the I forgot the other two games that that I think will be great to watch are Tennessee's going to Pitt at Pitt, and and you know Pitt's a ranked team. Tennessee's not yet ranked, although I think they will be. And I'm just waiting for the moment when Pitt gets beat so that I can parade around Twitter about Desmond Howard putting them in the playoff, like the most asinine take ever. 
Um, so that that's going on. And then Kentucky, Florida is, is deceivingly a huge matchup. It's in the swamp and Kentucky is one of those teams that people have talked about that could be really good this year. And so we'll find out how, how good Billy Napier's Gators are. And we also do have South Carolina, Arkansas, maybe okay. not a ton of consequence, but it'll definitely be a, a really interesting matchup to see, see where both of those teams are at. For sure. Um, I also just have to comment that I think out of all of the players that I've watched, I think Bryce Young is one of the most inspired players I've ever seen. Like when he steps on the field, the way that he puts his heart into the game, I think this kid probably has a, a chip on his shoulder. So this week we'll probably see the start of this year's Heisman campaign for him. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure it's 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 looming. You know that much. <laughs> Yeah, and then I also, I forgot to mention this. I have to call it out. Xavier Johnson, fucking badass. That touchdown he scored, then hopped into special teams and immediately tackled the receiver on the kickoff, like at the 12-yard line on the immediate next play. I don't know a lot of guys that are going to run the field, score a touchdown, then run the field again and be the first one to the ball. That was sick. That was sick. I mean, the kid had his moment, man. A former walk-on. And going back to Brian Kelly cutting the walk-ons, yeah, like, there's a exactly. chance you, you you cut that kid or you cut CJ Saunders. Like there's walk-ons that have contributed and you just cut them all. But yeah, awesome for that kid. And and I think it is of note, the special teams were dominant on Saturday. That was a huge yeah. part of the win. Outside yeah. of, I mean, Noah Ruggles missed his first field goal attempt and, you know, that's not really on the special teams coordinator, but I guess you could kind of put it on him. But the special teams were outstanding. Punt coverage, kickoff coverage, yeah. everything. Flying yeah. to the ball on both defense and special teams. That's what we've been missing oh, yeah. the last few years. It was just good to see that. Once you see the effort, everything else can 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 come from that. And then not seeing as many missed tackles was a huge thing for me, including on special teams. So <laughs> really, really excited. And to your point, Zach, like the entire team lit up when this when that kid got the touchdown and then, you know, made the play on special teams. Like you can't replace that type of energy. You know, the star players love love when the guy that's there in practice every single day working just as hard of them gets a shot and shows up yeah they love big players make big plays that's what it's all well on that note it's been an amazing college football sprint this week zach week two we're into this uh really exciting this year and we'll see you next week to pick up coverage after after you know hopefully we put a nice little stomping on arkansas state absolutely i appreciate it guys thanks for having me on thanks man all right, man, we're going.